Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. This is Sports Center at 6. Stunning news out of Green Bay. Why the Packers decided to shut down Aaron Rodgers. As the Greek freak takes his third shot at dethroning the king. Why history is on his side, not LeBron's. The holidays are here. Woj and why Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins are on everyone's trade wish list. And fresh off a new 10-year deal, we are all access with the most polarizing football coach in America, Florida Atlantic's Lane Kiffin. Welcome to the Six. It's been a while since my usual partner in crime enjoyed some vacation. So more than capably filling in for Jamel for the next three days, if I don't drive her crazy, that is, L. Duncan, who co-hosts a hilarious Sports in a Snapchat show every Wednesday and Thursday. Yes. Um, ask your seventh grader about me. If you don't know how to subscribe, they can teach you and show you the way. And if you haven't already, y'all need to get on that show. <laughs> All right, let's get on with this show, shall we? Show's over for Aaron Rodgers. Green Bay placed him on injury reserve this afternoon. Packers season will be over earlier than usual as Atlanta's win over Tampa Bay last night eliminated Green Bay from the postseason with two games remaining. First up, playing host and perhaps playing spoiler to the Vikings Saturday night. Coming off of Rodgers' first three interception games since 2009 in his first game back from his broken collarbone, Mike McCarthy and the Packers are dealing with the unusual circumstance of not preparing for the playoffs for the first time since 2008, Rodgers' first year as a starter. Now, Rob Domofsky uh, joins us from Pack- the Packers facility. So, Rob, this was a difficult decision, not the no-brainer some laid it out to be, because it certainly sends a, a complicated message to the rest of that locker room. Aaron Rodgers, franchise quarterback that he is, doesn't have to play in meaningless games, even though he was cleared to do so. Not fully healthy. We get it. Meanwhile, the Jordy Nelsons and... and uh, and the rest of the team, you know, Randall Cobb, they have to go out and continue playing. So this wasn't this didn't come out of left field. We heard this possibility Sunday night and into yesterday. How do you think this has been playing among the rest of the players, this decision that Mike McCarthy and the coaching staff and the organization made today? Yeah, Michael, those are all great points. We know this. Football is not an egalitarian society. The quarterback is more important than everybody else. But you're right. What kind of message does it send when you say Rodgers doesn't have to play? But, for example, your, your all-pro left tackle, David Bakhtiari, I mean, now he's got to go out and block. doesn't matter who's behind him. But it was a complicated decision and really uncharted waters for this team because you mentioned how long it's been since they've been in the playoffs. I asked Randall Cobb today, you know, how do you approach these last couple weeks? And he said, honestly, I don't know. Remember, Cobb is a guy who got here in 2011 He's known nothing but the playoffs. Most of the guys on the roster are the same way. Jordy Nelson didn't make it his first year, but he's made it every year since. And and look, everybody did understand that if they were out of playoff contention, the idea of shutting Rodgers down was a very strong possibility. Mike McCarthy said just within the last hour that this is what's in Aaron Rodgers' best interest. And I guess in the end, Michael, what's in Aaron Rodgers' best interest is in the Green Bay Packers' best interest as a whole. Very true. I mean, he is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. He does play the most important position. But Clay Matthews plays in those commercials as well. He's got a lot of other (laughs) notable guys whose careers uh, they still have to maintain beyond this season as well. A huge break for the Vikings and the Lions. 
getting Brett Hundley and not Aaron Rodgers the next two weeks. You also wrote on ESPN.com, going back to the uncharted territory that the Packers are in, missing the playoffs for the first time since 2008, uh, about some of the possible ramifications higher than Rodgers as, as it relates to Mike McCarthy, Ted Thompson, Dom Capers, the defensive coordinator. So missing the playoffs this year, granted, Rodgers missed seven and will be nine games. Could we see other dominoes fall as a result of the Packers uncharacteristically missing the playoffs? Yeah, let's start at the top with general manager Ted Thompson. He's got one more year left on his contract. He'll be 65 in January. It's, it's very possible that the Packers could say, you know what, it's time for a new voice at the top. Now, Mike McCarthy, also one year left on his contract. His job is safe. He's, he's won a Super Bowl. He's done a masterful job with this team. But could McCarthy decide that maybe it's time to make a change, uh, for example, with the defense, uh, which has really struggled since the Super Bowl season of 2010? But I don't know that McCarthy makes any significant coaching changes, whether it's to Dom Capers, the defensive coordinator, or somebody else on the staff. If he doesn't get a new contract, I don't know if any head coach would want to bring in a new defensive coordinator when they're going into the final year of their deal. All right, Rob, thanks for the intel. We appreciate it. Uh, the Packers' run of eight consecutive playoff appearances, that was tied for second longest in the history of the National Football Conference, one shot of tying the Cowboys' run from the late 70s into the early 80s, Al. Yeah, so college football news after one season. Listen, albeit a wildly successful one, FIU has decided they want to lock down Lane Kiffin for the next decade. Owls, who play in the Cherubundi Tart Cheruboka Raton Bowl right after the six tonight. They've won 10 games this year. That's the most in program's history. Now, his initial deal, five years, paid him about $950,000 annually. School president John Kelly telling ESPN a little earlier this month, Kiffin's impact has transcended football as evident by the fact FAU's out-of-state applications for the 2018 fall semester we're up 35%. It's the Lane Kiffin Twitter effect. We're joined now by our college football reporter, Chris Lowe, who actually spoke to Kiffin and the university's president today after the story. And Chris, what's the level of faith that the university has in Kiffin that he's going to not try to leave and move to a Power 5 conference job in the next year or two? Well, I think they're confident that he wants to be there. Now, listen, if a Power 5 job that you can't say no to comes along, Dr. John Kelly's realistic that people are going to inquire. But I think this is a commitment on FAU's part and one on Lane Kiffin's part. He likes being there. He loves living in Boca Raton. He loves the way he's bonded with these players. Uh, This is a team that hadn't done anything really until he got there. And they think, Lane Kiffin thinks, they're going to be even better next year than they were this year. Yeah, they seem to think that they could find their way into the top 25. That remains to be seen. But for now, really a historic year for the program. And as such, a 10-year deal now for Lane Kiffin, Mike. All right, as you mentioned, Al Kiffin, never want to stay in one place or one role for very long. Assistant at USC under Pete Carroll for six seasons. Uh, served three different positions in that span. His second longest senior job was when he returned to Southern California. In fairness, he got fired. Um, he returned there in 2010 and led the Trojans for four seasons. Booger McFarland. Mm-hmm. Has Lane Kiffin, has he, has he turned FAU into something of a hot spot? I saw on Twitter the other day, a Snoop Dogg, he had Uncle Luke yeah. there. 
you know, they're, they're about to, you know, perhaps go through conference play undefeated and win a bowl game, which I think only UCF can do. Like, this feels like a perfect fit for Lane Kiffin. Maybe he shouldn't have a wanderer eye this time around. FAU is relevant now, and they're relevant because of Lane Kiffin. We can talk about him on Twitter. We can talk about his beef with Nick Saban. He's come down there. He's got a lot of kids to transfer, some that other schools didn't want. He's put this offense in. Now, he's still a very good coach. He's still, I think, the best play caller in college football. You couple that with the recruits, the players, FAU is relevant. We're talking about FAU on the 6 o'clock Sports Center. You can go back to the archives all you want. You're not going to find that a lot, and that's because of Lane Kiffin. So I understand rewarding him with a 10-year deal. But let's be honest. If Lane Kiffin had a better offer, if another Power 5 president, AD, trusted Lane Kiffin to run the football program, not as a football coach, he's a tremendous coach, but you have to trust him to run the program. But this is a step in the right direction. I just wonder, though, the timing. Like, why would you need to extend the man for 10 years when just a year ago you had him for five? What's the point of this? I think it's a trust issue. I, I think Lane probably went to him and said, you know what? I'm recruiting. I'm getting players to come. You show them I'm going to be here. Give me this 10-year deal. Plus, it's more money. I mean, he's making right. 950. He's going to get some more money. Mm-hmm. Who's going to turn down more money, L. Duncan? Nobody's Nobody. turning and down more money. And if you want money. me to not jump to a power exactly. five, put another ring on it or a bigger yeah. ring on it. Exactly. Go upgrade that and get yes. the ring we had. I yes. tell you what, we were talking about this in the meeting this morning. Hilarious how this time of year ago we are talking about Lane Kiffin and the distraction that he mm. was yeah. to mm. Alabama getting cussed out by Nick Saban. Mm. Now he's America's favorite coach. We can't get enough of him mostly because of Twitter. Exactly. And I'm glad that you mentioned Nick Saban, who is dealing with some troubles of his own. Maybe. We'll get some perspective on this. The story, another day, another Alabama linebacker down. This time it's Dylan Moses, who hurt his foot yesterday at practice. Nick Saban listing him out as indefinitely. Uh, Of course, he was listed on the SEC All-Freshman team. Started the last couple of games. Largely booger because they'd already lost linebacker Sean Deon Hamilton to a season-ending injury. I feel like whenever it comes to Alabama, this is a lot like the Patriots, you know? It's like they can lose someone and it doesn't really matter. Does this really matter in the Clemson game? It doesn't really matter except maybe on special teams because he wasn't going to start. Jamie Mosley, Mack Wilson, those are going to be your two starting inside linebackers. So from a depth standpoint, this is going to matter. And we're all thinking about the Alabama linebackers from the end of the season when they were injured. Let's go back to the Florida State game. When those linebackers were healthy, mm-hmm. that defense was still awesome. Mm-hmm. So you give Nick Saban a month, you give him some healthy guys. I understand Dylan Moses, he's a five-star. We're all thinking about that. But they have players, Mosley and Wilson will be there. I don't think this is as big a deal as a lot of people are making it. Can you and your pocket square come back later talk some pro football? I would love to. Thank you. That's wonderful what you Aggressive. Did. It's aggressive. No, that's got a negative connotation. <laughs> we have arrived at the... Premier matchup in the NBA today. Nobody has. I haven't looked at Twitter though, so I'm, I'm just trying to spare myself that. Uh, tonight, Giannis and the Bucks have their third chance this season to dethrone King James and the Cavs. Both Giannis and LeBron actually made their NBA debuts at 18 years old, and the young buck is starting to look a lot like the King did at this age. During LeBron's age 23 season, that was in 07-08, he led the NBA in player efficiency rating for the first time, which is exactly what Giannis is doing at the same age 10 years later. Let's check with our Cavs reporter, Dave McMenamin, who joins us live now. So the Cavs on a five-game win streak. LeBron has scored a triple-double in four of those. Dave, is that happenstance or a concerted effort to impact every facet of the game by LeBron? Well, Al, we can certainly talk about his assist numbers. Five straight games with 10 assists or more. The first time he's done that, had that long an assist streak in his 15-year career, 
and that is by necessity because you don't have Isaiah Thomas in there, you don't have Derrick Rose in there, you don't have Iman Shumpert in there, who's been using at point guard uh, the last couple seasons. Now they do have Jose Calderon starting, but Calderon is more of a set up the offense type of guy, go off the ball, catch and shoot situations, allow LeBron James to be the playmaker, and certainly that aspect of his game, uh, he's going out and trying to get assists, but his teammates need to make the shots. As far as the scoring, this is something we've seen him do throughout his career, and the rebounding, it's been up the last couple of years, but I want to talk about usage rate. You could say that, oh, LeBron's numbers look so good because Kyrie Irving's out of town, and he's just going to be the one to touch the ball. His usage rate is virtually identical to what it was last year. It's lower than what it was two years ago when they won the championship, and it's significantly lower than it was his first year in Cleveland. So this is not ball hog LeBron putting up these crazy stats in pursuit of the MVP. This is him just playing at a highly efficient level, and the Cavs benefiting from it. That's, That's highly efficient reporting. That, was a, is a, that is very efficient reporting by one Dave McMenamin. LeBron looking for career win 734 in the regular season. Thank you, Dave. He has quite a ways to go, though, Michael, if he's going to catch up to this young lady. Sylvia Hatchell has spent 43 years coaching women's basketball, 32 of those in Chapel Hill. She won a national championship with UNC, entered the Hall of Fame in 2013, and now adds another milestone after defeating Grambling State earlier today. You're seeing it right now. She is in the 1,000-win club. Only two others in women's basketball have ever done it. And look who it is, Coach Hatchell, joining us now. Uh, and Coach, congratulations, but considering that you actually started your career at Francis Marion College, how fitting is it that you hit this landmark in South Carolina? Well, it's very special because we're you know, about 60 miles from Francis Marion, and uh, they gave me a tremendous opportunity. And success is about relationships, and, you know, I still have great relationships with all those people there, and especially all the great players that I had. So, uh, you know, that's, it's really special. How has the role of coach evolved in the 42-plus years that you've been doing it? Wow. Uh, coach, uh, that's a broad statement there because, you know, all of my players, I've been a part of their lives, and they've been there for me too. Um, you know, it's where you do, you do everything. I mean, you're like a second mom to them, and you, uh, you teach them a lot of life lessons, you go through good times and bad times. Uh, you just teach them a lot of qualities and characteristics about uh, perseverance and work ethic and love and action and toughness and uh, patience. Uh, you just all those things. So, uh, but it's it's a tremendous um, opportunity and something I have enjoyed so much, and I'm I'm loving it now as much or more than ever. Hey, Coach, I know you're just off the court. You've seen this win coming on the horizon for a while, but I just want you to process this list. This is the club. This is the 1K club. Summit, Krzyzewski, <laughs> Vanderveer, Hatchell. When you hear that, what do you think? Well, I think about what great people they were because Pat and I were very close. We were in school together at Tennessee, and we, we were together off the court so much doing other things besides basketball. But I wouldn't be where I'm at doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for Pat. Pat was just unbelievable. And Mike Krzyzewski and I, even though he's at Duke, we don't let a lot of people know this, but we're pretty good buddies. And, uh, you know, we stay in touch with each other. And, and I know his wife, uh, you know, well. So, you know, they're just wonderful people. And they just love the game. You know, they, they, they're tough. They're disciplinarians. But they just love the game. And, and love people and 
and all, and, and Tara, I know Tara, you know, well too. I mean, anytime when you've been coaching this long, you know, you, you've played against those people, but, you know, the toughness and, and just, just uh, but more than anything else, just, you know, how they, they just want to help and bless other people, and, and, and they love this great game of basketball. Uh, you know, so uh, they're all, I mean, it's just, when I think about that, I'm thinking, oh man, that's just like when I was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, I'm thinking, no, I mean, this is just incredible, you know? I mean, it, you just, that's a, a person's dream, you know, is to, to be in the Hall of Fame, but then to, to win a thousand games. But, you know, it doesn't happen without all the great players that you've had, yeah. the coaches that you've had. You know, I mean, that's what it's all about is, is relationships. So the odds, you can't even calculate the odds that you would win a thousand. And tonight against Oklahoma, Gino Ariema has a chance <laughs> to also win a thousand. How special is this night or this day for the sport if both you and Gino are, in fact, able to join that 1000 win club? Well, um, it's special. You know, I don't think I need to wish Gino any luck because, you know, uh, I mean, he's just got such a dynasty there and all these great players and everything. But, you know, Gino's done a lot for the game. I mean, um, you know, we've played him quite a few times. We've had some great games uh, against UConn. And, uh, but, again, you know, with what he's done the last few years for USA Basketball is tremendous as well. Uh, you know, so, but it is special. I mean, for it to happen on the same day, who would have ever thought that? Nobody. Nobody. (laughs) Take it easy, Coach. Congratulations. Thank you. As mentioned, Hatchell is the fourth coach in D1 basketball history to record 1,000 career wins and can be joined later tonight, once again, by UConn's Gino Ariema as the Huskies play host to Oklahoma right down the road from here at Mohegan Sun. Also, shout out to Rutgers CBV and Stringer, who's sitting on 988. Our Diana Russini caught up with Gino just before his big night. Thanks, Michael. I am now here with another coach who's going for 1,000 career wins, UConn head coach Gino Ariamo. Gino, I know you're not one for the numbers. You've had a lot of streaks going on in your career, but this is a big one for you personally. What is the significance for you? I don't know. That's a hard one because uh, there's – you're right. There's been so many things that have happened uh, that you almost feel like, you know – this is another one of those things that uh, our, at Connecticut we've been able to celebrate. But it, it, it's different because it's not like you only get one try at it. So it's not like, well, if we don't win tonight, there goes our chance to do it. You know, So it doesn't have the same feel. I think after the fact, if, you know, when it does happen, I think Chris and I will sit down and we'll look at it and go, man... I, I can't believe that that could actually happen to us in this place. So right now, that, that hasn't hit us yet. You've been doing this long enough. You have a, a bunch of national titles. Are you still growing? Am I still what? Are you still growing as a coach? Oh, am I still growing as a coach? I didn't mean in your height. Uh, yeah, yeah. I stopped doing that a long <laughs> time ago. the other way. Yeah. Um, I, I think I am. I think I'm finding things out, um, you know, as we go along. Uh, especially, you know, coaching the national team, I think I got, I got a lot smarter. Uh, there's things that I know now that I didn't know five years ago, and uh, it's helped me coach my team. And because kids today are so different than they've ever been, uh, you're gonna have to figure out new ways to do it because, um, you know, my my old ways they don't work as good as they used to. 
Coach, uh, no. you, you, you've mastered adapting, so I think most of us have the confidence that you'll be able to, to continue that and get that 1,000th win. Thanks so much, and good luck tonight. All right, thanks, Dan. I appreciate it. Happy holidays, especially for Lane Kiffin. Home game for him and his Florida Atlantic Owls. They face Akron in the Boca Raton Bowl. That's next. 7 Eastern on ESPN. No matter what happens on the field, Kiffin wins today, signing a 10-year contract extension. Uh, and, Mike, you could say they're certainly excited about the turnaround that the program's seen in one season under Kiffin. Well, wouldn't you be after I mean, Lane yeah. Kiffin led the Owls to a school record 10 wins this season after the team won nine total the previous three seasons? Florida Atlantic's offense also set a new school record by averaging nearly 40 points. You know who's on the call right after us, Kirk Morrison, who joins us now live. And, Kirk, you actually played for Lane in 2007-2008 in Oakland <laughs> yeah. when he was heading up the Raiders. I see you laughing. A lot of people did exactly that. Um, how have you seen him evolve, though, from right. the youngest coach in NFL history at the time to where he is now? Well, I think the biggest thing for Lane has been, dare I say it, growth, uh, maturity. That, that's what I see from him now. When I played for him back in 07 and 08, uh, I saw a young hotshot coordinator who really was about himself, you know, very arrogant, uh, a lot of cockiness. But now when I see Lane, he's totally different. He's definitely, I think, taking a page out of the book of coaches that he's been around, whether it's Tom Coughlin when he was an assistant, you know, down in Jacksonville, or Pete Carroll when he was at USC. We all know about Nick Saban when he coached there as the offensive coordinator. He's really now become a CEO down at FAU. He's given away the play call in the Kendall Browse. He's truly about building relationships and about making putting smiles on these kids' faces. Totally different Lane Kiffin than I met back in 07. Okay, so, so that's what I was going to ask you because I broke up McFarlane earlier. Uh, he called Lane the best play caller in America in his opinion. We talk about the personality, you know, Twitter, you know, the, the interviews. Lane has all of that taken care of, but you just called him a CEO. When, you, when we watch this game, as we get ready to watch FAU yeah. take on Akron, from an X's and O's standpoint, how have you seen – what imprint has Lane right. put on this offense? I mentioned him averaging 40 a game. So what have you seen from FAU from an X's and O's standpoint? You say, yeah, that's, that's the Lane Kiffin I've always seen going all the way back to Oakland uh, a decade ago. Well, he's always going to be have the schematics down packed. That's always going to be Lane. But now he's still taking those shots down the field. They want to go fast. They go extremely fast. They're trying to run plays in 14, 15 seconds. And the thing about everyone thinks about it's just a passing game, passing game. They're really a run-based football team. So today they're going to score points, but it's going to be behind that running game, the play action. Look, Lane Kiffin is still going to dial up those plays. We may see some tricks tonight. He's all about the flair, the spectacular. And look, he's on national TV tonight, just got the big contract like you mentioned. Look, this is one of those games that I think he tries to show the country what FAU football is all about. Well, it's good to talk to you, Kurt. I remember being in defensive meetings. Back in the day with you and Rob Ryan under Lane Kiffin. <laughs> a lot of us come full circle. Yeah, right? Look forward to hearing you on a call. Look at you, bringing up, you're yeah. bringing up old stuff. Yeah, man, we're getting old. <laughs> I believe he had control and he did a football move. The rule says he's got to have a football move associated with that for it to be a catch and then have the ensuing end of that play uh, be questionable because of it hitting the ground. But... Uh, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that you've got to really eliminate the ability to have possession and do it all in one gesture. These guys can do that today. It really needs to be addressed. 
I still say catch. Catching a football move. I also understand that the rules say differently. Bottom line is, and I was glad to hear Ben sort of own this and accept blame today on radio, Roethlisberger never should have attempted that pass. Even if he runs the fake spike play, you got to throw that joint away, player. Basically, still a whole lot of 2020 hindsight at work Tuesday when it comes to the Steelers' 27-24 loss to New England on Sunday. 52 seconds and a timeout. Roethlisberger trying to get him in range. Throws underneath. Caught by Smith-Schuster. Sends a tackle in midfield. And he's all the way down inside the 15. The Steelers have taken their second timeout. You know, I'm looking to the sideline to coach. Like, are we taking this timeout? What are we doing? And, um, you know, which is which is very typical. Um, you know, obviously the only person that can communicate to me is Todd. Um, and so I'm sure he's asked coach Tomlin and everybody. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm putting my hands up like, are we taking the timeout? Are we taking the timeout? And um, Tony, um, the, the head official, thought I was calling timeout. So he blew it. I'm not sure if Mike wanted to use it or not. I wanted to pocket that timeout, but in the midst of him making eye contact with me and signaling to see if we wanted timeout, uh, Tony interpreted that as Ben calling a timeout. Roethlisberger pumps, throws over the middle. It is caught by Jesse James. And oh. he bear crawls in for a touchdown. Did he, Did complete, he complete the process? The process. Yes. The ball moved laterally. The receiver in the end zone did not survive the ground it's an incomplete pass you know we all can acknowledge that all of this needs to be revisited it's not just that play you know we have a similar discussion week in and week out so as a member of the committee i acknowledge that you know we got our work cut out for us this offseason regarding a number of those things fires underneath it's caught on the move running to the near left sideline catch was made by darius hayward bay he's caught in bounds so i was yelling clock 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 guys were getting set and then it came through my headset then don't clock it run a play run a play in that moment as i'm thinking in my head do i spike it do i not um i went with and i, I probably wish i looked at my gut now obviously in hindsight there's no script for those moments uh, there's always latitude professional latitude particularly that goes with being a veteran quarterback in those circumstances. Roethlisberger is going to take the snap, fake the spike. He's going to fire it over the middle, and it is picked off. I've been doing this a long time, and if it works, I look like a hero. If it doesn't, we lost the game, and I'll take that. I'll take that blame. I, I find comfort in the fact that Seven's my quarterback. If everybody on the field is uncomfortable, then that's advantage Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's why we chose not to spike that ball. So Mike Tomlin also said, quote, it's not about what transpired. Mm-hmm. It's about how do we move on? How do we learn from it? How we respond to this loss will define us. Booger McFarland, now you go back with Mike T when he was a secondary coach of the Bucks when you were there. Um, you know what kind of motivator he is. It's interesting that going into this game in the weeks leading up to it, there was talk about whether the Steelers were looking past their opponents to the Patriots. Now it seems like it's a question of whether or not they can put this loss in the past and move on. Mm-hmm. How did they put this loss in a box at the bottom of the ocean like Jacques Cousteau? You know, put it, put it in the box. Right. You know, bury it um, and move forward. Or is this the type of thing that might linger for a while? Well, I think Mike T understands his team. And first of all, him bringing this game up weeks in advance, he's addressing the elephant in the room. And he knows that all of his players are going to start to look forward to it. So I like him for doing that. He's going to put this game past them by really just staring at it and looking at it. He talked about it's not what happened, but what we do. I'll take you back to college football. Remember Georgia, Auburn? Auburn just stomped Georgia. Kirby Smart came on TV the very next day and said, you know what? It's not about what happened today. It's about how we respond. They responded well. They came back SEC championship game. Georgia smashed Auburn. So when you look at it from that point of view, you want your players to watch the tape, 
understand that we got to be a little bit better in every area. Le'Veon Bell, you got to run a little bit harder. Jesse James, you got to catch and hold that ball a little bit tighter. That's the message you send to your team. You thought the effort was good? Yeah. It's got to be that much better to beat this team. And I kind of clowned A.B. yesterday when he tweeted, we made a statement. I'm like, what's that statement that, you know, you can't outsmart the Patriots? But in all seriousness, in all seriousness, with the, there's no moral victories. Correct. But what the Steelers, they, they, they already believed they were better mm-hmm. going into this. And now they feel like they got robbed and they gave it away with some miscommunication. So they can hold their heads up and say, we, we can beat them. We're better than them. Here's the mo- a, you know, they can legitimately feel that way. At home. Yes. Here's the most important statement they made. It was defensively. We know what they can do offensively with A.B., Martavius, Le'Veon, Big Ben. Defensively. They had always played New England in zone coverage. And Brady just carved them up. So they changed the game plan. They're going to blitz him, some fire zone. But more importantly, play man-to-man. We saw the Dolphins on Monday night with lesser athletes, lesser corners, get up in the Patriots receiver's face, play man-to-man. That was a no grok. Exactly. <laughs> Pittsburgh copied that, played yeah. a little bit more man-to-man, and that's why the defense played better. So yeah. I fully expect them, if they do play again, yeah, there'll be some new wrinkles. But sure. when you play your nemesis, you got to line up and beat them. You can't trick your nemesis. Right. It's, it's hard to beat the Patriots twice in one year, too. So this could be to the benefit of the Steelers should they face them in the playoffs. I mean, the last team to beat them twice in one year was the Super Bowl champion. <laughs> Broncos, I'm just throwing that out there. Here's something that wow. I here's something that I can't get over. The Falcons are in the playoff driver's seat after a win against the Bucks. Yeah, yeah. Optimists are like, a win is a win, especially at this time of the year. Overlooking the fact, Booger. It was an uninspired effort against a banged-up Bucks team. Matt Ryan evoking zero confidence in what should have been a tune-up game against the worst passing defense in the league. Mm-hmm. 212 yards. And he said what I've been thinking all year. Mm-hmm. Not happy with the alignment. Get set. <laughs> You're telling me that Falcons fans should feel good about what they saw last night. Yeah, they won. And in the National Thank Football you. League, no. no, no, no. In the National Football League, L, what you want to do is survive in advance and win. Because guess what? Even though the Buccaneers were depleted, no Levante David, no Gerald McCoy. Listen, I was in Tampa last night. I didn't go to the game. But the atmosphere was not there at all. Everybody was in the stadium to see John Gruden in the Ring of Honor. And once that was over with, everybody left. I know. So the atmosphere wasn't there, but they won. They found a way. They discovered Devontae Freeman again. Get him the football. Almost 200 all-purpose yards. The Falcons are going to go, however, as far as their defense can go. I want to see more out of Vic Beasley. I want to see Adrian Claiborne. Have you heard from him since the six-sack no. game? I have. I don't know if he's still alive. They need to see. They <laughs> need to see so. more from that defense because the offense is going to be there. The offense is just too good. I'm so used to hearing Falcons slander. I thought I'd get a break from it today, especially you having lived in Atlanta for as long. Listen, as Listen, I'm did. from Atlanta. I know they're going to kill me. I'm just saying that, like. You have to now play the Saints and the Panthers oh. to keep your chance. And that's the best you could do to keep your playoff oh, chances win. alive oh, no, they were against the win. Bucks, you against the win. four-win oh. team? They were on the road against a division opponent, which was never easy. I'm going to turn a frown upside down for you right quick. Okay. They've had ten games this year decided by seven points or fewer. That's the most in the league. Mm-hmm. If the Falcons need practice at anything, <laughs> it's winning close games. <laughs> So there you go. Yeah. It doesn't have to be pretty. Last time we saw them with a big lead, they quit. I mean, this is I'm, good. I'm, hey, I'm, right. I'm not going to say no. All right, quit bringing up old I'm stuff. I'm just saying, they, they didn't know how to handle Too that. Far. Okay? Too <laughs> far, <laughs> appreciate it. 
Pelicans in D.C. tonight. Sixth place in the West at 15 and 15. New Orleans has 25-year-old Anthony Davis in place. He's in the second year of a five-year, $127 million contract that expires in 2021. And while he loves New Orleans, who doesn't greatest city in the world, and doesn't long for a major market, the team's two-year absence from the playoffs feels like 20 years to A.D. So when you read Woj on ESPN.com saying Davis remains a trade obsession of several NBA teams with assets, I imagine Pelicans fans everywhere, their ears perking up. Woj joins me now. Uh, you spent a lot of time with AD in New Orleans recently. Good stuff. What assurances is he seeking from the organization that the team will be able to construct a championship contender around him in the very near future? Well, Michael, like, like you said, he wants to win in New Orleans. He loves that city, the market. Uh, the addition of DeMarcus Cousins, uh, certainly, especially this year, they have really learned to play together. But re-signing Cousins will be important for this organization. And I think what Anthony is finding now is his voice as a franchise player. And I think our conversation and talking on the record about that really for the first time for him was really him putting the organization on notice that they have to get better. They've got to improve the talent level. And he looks around the league and sees all these great young players that everyone's talking about. You know, People have forgotten a little about Anthony Davis at times. He is still a first-team All-NBA guy. And, and like Anthony said to me, if you aren't winning, uh, if you're not in the playoffs, um, people are going to look at you differently in this league. And, and he's determined not just to get that team back to the postseason this year, but try to have a team here that can advance. Thank you, Woj. Before I let you go, can you say New Orleans one more time? <laughs> New Orleans. Okay, much better. Much better. Yeah, Orleans. <laughs> he said Orleans. Yeah, the New right. Orleans earlier. Yeah, <laughs> did. Did. Don't think I ain't catch yeah. that. We'll catch you later, boys. Thank you, bro. Pull the receipt. All right, going back to the association last night. Did you know teams were 0 379 when trailing by five or more in the final 30 seconds? Until this. Bogdanovich looking. Able to get it into Joseph. Back to Bogdanovich. Uh oh. Stolen by Rozier. He's got time. He's got a bucket. And Boston escapes. 112 to 111. I'm not going to say luck of the Irish. The Celtics are blessed and highly favored. Like, they, but they make their own. That was fortune. not luck. That was courtesy like, of Bogdanovich making a ridiculous decision to go cross court inbound pass. That's stupid. Don't blame Victor Oladipo. 30 of his 38 in the second half. We'd be talking about him. Hey, promo. Guess who's joining the six tomorrow? Jason Tatum. Ooh. You're here, right? Exactly. I am here. Exactly. A lot of close games last night. There was a record time five games inside about two or fewer last night in the association. Great story. Nick's big man, Kyle O'Quinn, he got a side gig. He gets rented out through his agency to appear and entertain at bar, mit- bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. All started after he was invited to the bat mitzvah of one of uh, his agent's daughter. Are you guys- I wonder if he makes, you know, like uh, balloons and whatnot. Are you guys purposely playing Seinfeld-esque music under probably, this? Probably. <laughs> Are you doing this totally on purpose? By the way, this is the greatest gig of all time. And also, who is rich enough to just have someone come and take selfies with their 13-year-old? Make me a sampler. You know, just I want a lot, a lot of the perfect. All of that. World Chess Championships, L. Uh, they begin March 10th. Yep, that's what you think it is. In London, they've revealed their new logo. Per the WCC's website, key visual from the 2018 World Chess Championship is controversial and trendy, just like the host city. Yes, very, um, a lot of Inyenda right there. Checkmate. I, I, make, make you I want to keep, I want to keep my job. Does it make you want to play chess? Well, yes. A little bit more? More so than, than the queen or the pawn. Watch him hooking up. All right. 
Like I said, I, <laughs> I like my job, but I just don't want to. I'm not going to go there. Look at the hard to paint. Bills cornerback for Davius White does not plan on retaliating Sunday against New England for tight end Rob Gronkowski's hit three weeks ago. That placed White in concussion protocol, of course, led to Gronk's one-game suspension. As I had time to think about it, I knew that, you know, you know, he wasn't that type of player. And uh, uh, we just we just honed in and just moved on from it. But, you know, I get to see him, you know, Sunday. And uh, the best way that I can handle that situation is just try to go in there and just uh, get a big old W in the in their in their in their stadium and you know and help our uh, playoff chances. So yeah, I'm not a guy that's gonna you know play try to do a cheap cheap shot after the whistle or nothing. But you know I'm gonna play the game the way it's supposed to be played and respect the game. Right way to approach it, only way to approach it, L, because he's too important and they still have something to play for. The playoffs for the first time in forever. You can't announce that you're gonna go after him. They'll be yes. looking for it. The only way to tackle them is to go low anyway. Right. You know, so. And they'll, they'll undoubtedly find a way to call that dirty, too. Even yeah, I mean, I know he texted Ryan Clark. It was like the whole hood warning, but all the Buffalo wants him in the playoffs. Awesome. Hey, before we call a day, who had a good day? Man, everybody had a good day because for the inaugural national championship halftime show, the powers that be finally got something right. They made the most unlikely of choices a good one. It's Kendrick Lamar. What? It's Kendrick Lamar. We're going. That's all there well, is to it. That's all you had to say. We go. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be out in like the Centennial Olympic Park area. Yeah. Um, I'm not even angry that they're not using any Atlanta people. Hey, good news for the Carolina Panthers. Speaking of Atlanta, Thomas Davis will have to sit out one game, the upcoming game against Tampa at home. But for the game at Atlanta, they will have Thomas Davis, whose two-game suspension for his hit on uh, Devontae Adams has been reduced from two games to one. That's it for the six. Stay tuned for the game between Akron and Lane Kiffin's FAU. I'll see you tomorrow. Yes. Let's do this again. All right. See y'all.